Good morning, church. Hi. Where should I put it? Let's take a vote. No. All right. Uh, We have a lot to do. Um, First, we have a lot to do because we're on Thanksgiving weekend, and we have a lot to be thankful for. Uh, My suspicion is we could spend today kind of going, what am I thankful for? What has God done in my life? And go one by one by one by one by one. And we could take up a whole week just being grateful for all the gifts that we've had this year. Um, so we have, we have a lot to do because of that. Uh, we also have a lot to do uh, because we're wrapping up our very long series, 31 weeks, working through the Bible, started way back in January uh, on the story. Um, it's also the very first week of Advent, so there's a lot to do there. And we're wrapping up the story with Revelation which I feel like I'm a little bit of the buzzkill this morning because everybody's coming in like, baby Jesus, let's sing about baby Jesus. And like, revelation, it's terrifying. Um, but one, a couple things I'm just grateful for. One, I'm just grateful for this church and this uh, family here. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine what life would be like without Bee Creek. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm also grateful for the chance to do this. Uh, if I was to try to describe to you how it's blessed me personally to be able to teach in this way, um, it would take all week. So thank, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I was telling uh, the 930 service that I really struggled when Laura asked me to do this week. I didn't want to do it right away. I really wanted to tell her no. And we don't tell Pastor Delora no. That's not... <laughs> We can't do that. But Revelation is a scary book, and it's been particularly scary for me. And it's dense, and it's complex, and it's hard to understand. There's monsters in this book, and there's fire in this book, and yeah, right? All right, so I'm going to read our scripture. We're going to be in Revelations 21 if you want to follow along. I'm going to go into Revelations 3 a little bit later, so if you want to mark it there. All right. So Revelation 21, I'm going to read verse 1 through a little bit of verse 6. Here's what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look. God's home is now amongst his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is done. This is the word of God for the people of God. So to start to dig into Revelation, I need to tell you a little bit about my experience with Revelation. And the first thing you should know is that my mom and dad love the Lord. I grew up in a church home. We were... Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday Awanas kind of people. 
Um, we were always there. I joked earlier that my favorite time was after the Sunday morning service because I knew I had six hours before more church and would like, try to pack as much fun as I could into those, into those moments. And I can remember being maybe four or five, maybe I was as old as six, I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I want to know Jesus. And I said that to him, I wanted to know Jesus, kind of for the same reason I wanted to watch baseball games with him, because I knew baseball was important to him. And I remember laying on his bed um, at night, and I remember for whatever reason the sheets were off the bed, so I have this memory of running my fingers across that puffy little honeycomb pattern and we prayed a prayer together. It's very similar to the prayer we pray when we join the church, which is recognize that the world is going this way, and without Jesus, you've been a part of that. And I remember bounding out of the room, being excited and not really knowing why, but I was excited. And probably, I must have been 10 or 11 years old when I went to a very small private Christian church, or school, a private school, and they decided, I don't know why, to show us these videos. And it, it was 10 hours worth of content, I think, and it turned the story of Revelation into an end times war story that scared me like no episode of The Walking Dead ever could. Um, and, I, and I joke, but as a kid, it really hit me in a weird place to where uh, I can visit, vividly remember there being times when I was home alone and my parents were late. They said they'd be home at 6 and it was 6.15 and I would go, There's, but the rapture happened and I'm here, I'm by myself and the Antichrist is coming and he's going to stamp the mark of the beast on my forehead and I literally would have an anxiety attack. And so this book has been scary for me and I, I don't say this to say that the school did something wrong or that my parents did something wrong. I just say it to, to let you know that it wasn't right for me. Um, I learned to be terrified of God's punishment before I could ever really understand how boundless his grace can be. And there's lots of reasons to be afraid of Revelation. Um, I was afraid because of monsters and lakes of fire. You might be afraid of Revelation because it's really hard to understand. It's such a dense book. It's probably the, the most dense book in the in, entire Bible. It's packed with symbolism and words and language that we just can't understand in the context of today's world. And so that part is scary. Um, it may also be scary to you because maybe you feel like it compromises our position of faith in a way. Um, it's a very common thing for a non-believer to say, I can't believe in a God who would punish people by sending them to hell to burn. I can't do that. Or maybe it's not exactly fear, but you're a practical thinker, and you say to yourself, why should I busy myself with revelation and unknowable future when there's good work of the Lord to be done right here, right now, today? And so while I said I was hesitant to do this message and really wanted to say no, I'm glad I did um, because I've discovered something in Revelation that is hopeful, that is encouraging, and is really beautiful. And my prayer has been, uh, God, what is it that you want me to say to the people of Bee Creek United Methodist Church 
about Revelation. And I had this one idea of what that message was going to be, and I kept hearing back, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so the message I want to offer today is a few points on that'll tell us why we shouldn't be afraid about Revelation, but also gives a nice picture, an arc of what the book of Revelation is. And the first one, don't be afraid, Jesus is our encouragement. So first and foremost, the book of Revelation is a letter, it's an epistle. So just like Paul wrote a letter to the people of Corinth, First and Second Corinthians, John was writing a letter to seven churches in Asia Minor, which is now Western Turkey. And so there were these very specific messages that he had for these seven churches. And what's a bit different about Paul's letters and John's letters is that John was acting as um, a secretary. He was taking dictation. He was having a vision. Jesus was giving him words, and he was writing it down. So when you look in the back of the book, look at Revelation, you're seeing a lot of red text, just like in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the words of Jesus. And so what you end up getting is these seven distinct messages to seven distinct churches on what is Jesus' encouragement to those churches. And I want to tell you just about one of them. Um, It's called Laodicea. Um, In the study guide, I went through all seven. It's a really fascinating study. Um, And I'm going to read just one. This is back in three. I'm going to be in 15, and I'm just going to read through 18, and then I'll bounce back to this in a minute. So starting in 15, uh, Revelations 3, it says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And so I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. And so it's this very specific message to Laodicea, and you need to know a little bit of context about this city, Laodicea, to understand what this message is. So Laodicea was a city very like Spicewood that had water problems. Um, it It was set between a mountain and a city known for their hot springs. So they had water problems. Their problem was a very rocky region, and they had to pipe in their water from other cities. And what would happen is the water was being piped in is it would become stagnant and stale and a bit lukewarm. And so now we go back to this text and we think, I will spit you out like lukewarm water. You're neither hot nor cold. See, in the mountains, the water is cold and it's pure and it's refreshing to drink. In the hot springs, it's hot. It's good for cleansing, good for wash. But they had water that was just okay and not all that great. There's some text from the city at the time that um, gives us some faith that they, they could complain a little bit about their water, a little bit of grumbling, but they felt pretty satisfied in the works that they had accomplished on their own. This was also bad for them, piping the water in, because it made it very easy for them to be attacked by neighboring nations. They very, somebody very easily could have come off, 
cut off the pipeline, destroyed their water supply, and they would have been ripe for the picking. So this history gives us a little bit more understanding of the symbolism that's happening here. You read words uh, like um, lukewarm water, I'll spit you out, buy from me. What's happening here is Jesus is giving a loving correction of this church. He's saying, don't be satisfied in what you're doing on your own. Buy from me instead. It's through my power that you're going to find water that's pleasing to drink and that's useful. And we could just leave it at that. We could say, well, what a cool message for Laodicea. Good for them. But what's interesting is you study Revelation, there's this pattern that happens all throughout. So I'm going to go back into three, and this is going to be verse 22. After every single address to the seven churches, you see this type of language. And then you see it all throughout the rest of the book as well. It says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So not only is Christ talking to the Laodiceans, he's also encouraging us to listen and hear what we can take away from us from it. So the first reason to not be afraid of a revelation is don't be afraid. Jesus is our encouragement. And sometimes his encouragement to the churches is a positive. He's saying, keep going. You're doing the right thing. This is why you should keep going. And sometimes it's this loving correction. And I know as a dad, um, loving correction is not always easy. Um, my oldest daughter is 15, Armia. You see her here. She's back there in the thing cringing right now. And uh, she makes dumb mistakes at 15. She does. But just like I made dumb mistakes when I was 15, and just like I make dumb mistakes at 35, and when I see those mistakes, I have to get my heart in the right place to lovingly correct because I want joy for her. I want joy for her like I've never wanted anything for myself. And it's hard. She's learning to think for herself and make her own opinions. And there's days when I just don't want to battle it out. But if I want joy from her, for her, I have to correct. God talks to me like this sometimes too. This is the way he was talking to the church at Laodicea. Is I want so much more for you and this thing in your life is rotten. It's like he put a lampshade lamp over a beautiful light and there's so much more to be had. So don't be afraid. Jesus is our encouragement. The second section of Revelation is a big section. It's chapters 4 through 20. And this is probably the hardest section of Revelation to wrestle with. Again, it's packed with all kinds of symbolism. And I've sat through church services where people, where a pastor will put up a timeline and he'll plot out this symbol represents Iran and ISIS. And this symbol over here represents Russia. And that means that this is going to happen on 1850. And they have dates and figures and, and they have got it all figured out. And I'm not smart enough, I haven't done enough research to be able to pick that apart, deconstruct it, and tell you that that's completely wrong. What I do feel confident in saying is those kind of predictions have changed every time that there's a new change. Like So way back 2,000 years ago, people were reading the text of Revelation and going, oh, that's Rome. 
And, oh, so that must mean Christ is coming soon. And people are doing that now. The story keeps changing. So I think we have to be very careful to pick apart these symbols and make them mean what we want them to mean. So what do you do? Because there's a ton of symbolism and it's hard to get into. Um, Probably the biggest piece of symbolism that happens through this section, 4 through 20, is the number 7. There are sevens everywhere. Um, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven stars, seven, seven candlesticks, seven-headed monsters, seven, 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 seven. And I don't, can't teach you what each of the seals mean, but I can say that as I kept reading through, I started to feel this comfort that there was order in the end of the world. God did it in order, and balanced, and and paced, and timed. And we got 16 chapters worth of Revelation where he describes what the destruction of the world looked like. And why wouldn't there be order and balance in the destruction of the world when in Genesis, in the story, we read there was order and balance to the beginning of the world. So in seven days, God said, let there be heavens and let there be earth and it's balanced and it's good. Let there be land and let there be sea and it's balanced and it's good. Now in Revelation, we're seeing seven, 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 balanced and good. And I don't know what any of that's going to look like, but it gives me comfort to know that God's in control of it. I feel like this part makes us uncomfortable the destruction of the world. How many of us, I don't like to think about, yeah, I don't like to think about our sun, that it's this bright star and that there's a possibility that it could burn out. I don't like to think about that. Um, I don't like to think about that there's comets swirling all around our galaxy and that one day one of those comets could smash into the earth. I don't like to think about it. When I go to a wedding of two people that I love, I don't think about all the stats that I read about adultery and marriages failing. When I hold a newborn baby, I don't think about all the knowledge I have of abuse, mental, physical, that can happen to children. I don't. We live in a broken world. A broken world, and we've said as much. When we joined the church, we acknowledged, we said, the world is broken, and it's headed this direction. And I want to be bold and go the other direction. It's kind of an audacious thing that we do to come in here and sing, our God is an awesome God, and he reigns in the midst of brokenness. It's an audacious, it's a bold statement. And this is what this part of Revelation is doing for us, 4 through 20. It's showing us what the end of that road looks like and giving us comfort that we're going the other direction. And if this was the end of the story, this would be a terrible story, and I would tell you all to leave right now. And it's not a fun story to tell. There's a third part of Revelation. This is chapters 21 and 22. And in part three, John's giving us a vision, a promise that all will be made new. He gives us a description of what it looks like, what it can feel like, what it will be like when all the things of earth have faded away 
and all the things of heaven are present and a reality for us. There is this really clear theme in Revelation of this distinction that we get between the things of heaven and things of earth. And I'm just going to jump back into 21 for just a second to read verse 4 again. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. There is crying, and there is pain, and there is sorrow today. And I've been given some thought to all the things of this earth that are in my life right now. Um, one of them, kind of a silly one, I go to Starbucks um, every morning, and I shouldn't. That's one of the lessons they'll teach you in financial peace, <laughs> is that you should save that money and put it in a 401k, and your company will match it, and that's a good thing. And, but So I go to Starbucks every morning, and I have a really simple order. I order coffee, and I put cream in it. And I get a little kind of self-righteous and indignant when people order the fancy, froofy drinks that take 20 minutes to say. And that really comes out when I go to the milk station because there's always some barista in training that is there with their cup and they got their lid off. They pour a little cream and then they stir, lovingly stir. And then they put, oh, that's not enough cream. Let me put a little bit more. Oh, nutmeg. Oh, a little dash of nutmeg. And then they stir. And I'm back there just like, I haven't had my coffee yet. I'm getting angst. And I'm like, all these unchristian thoughts of what I wanted to this person. And they must always can tell that I'm doing this because they look back at me and go, I'm sorry. I'm like, it's fine. I'm a Christian. It's good. <laughs> this is a thing of the earth. This impatience inside me, this ugliness inside of me that makes me hate the person in front of me. And the promise that we get here in Revelation is that's going to be made new. And I'm going to pick on Mia again. Um, there are times when she's pushing back, she's fighting with me, and I do this really ugly thing where I'll just give her the dad glare, the dad glare of, how dare you sass me? And I try to like shame her with my eyes, and it doesn't work. <laughs> and I don't know why I think it's going to work. Because I somehow think that if I'm pissy with her, she's going to like stop being pissy with me. Instead of getting into a loving place where I can correct her out of encouragement because I want joy for her. And I know that there are people that have experienced abuse, difficulty, and maybe there's, even though they found peace in Christ, there's a little bit of them that still holds people back and that light that they have is hidden a bit because of the hurt that they've experienced in the past. And the promise is that's a thing of this earth. That is not a thing of heaven and it's gonna be made new. And I know some of you, maybe some in this room sat at the Thanksgiving table on Thursday and you experienced some kind of loss this year whatever kind of loss it was, and maybe you looked over at an empty chair and it was all you could do to pray and say that you're grateful. And that gratefulness maybe wasn't even all the way feeling it. But again, that's a thing of this earth. It's not a thing of heaven and our promise is that it will be made new. I've been thinking a lot as I've studied for this. For some reason, Pilgrim's Progress kept popping into my mind. And there's this part in Pilgrim's Progress where Pilgrim 
is carrying around his burden. And it's a literal physical thing. It's like he's carrying a backpack on his shoulders. And there's a moment where he puts the backpack down and he experiences freedom for the first time. I love that. Love that scene. Love that moment. And I've had moments like that in my walk. One of them was the day that I walked through these doors and met this group of people for the first time. But sometimes I think I've set it down and I'm walking along and I look back and it's like a piece of toilet paper stuck to the bottom of my shoe. And I'm like, oh, I need to knock it off again. I'm carrying this stupid thing around. And sometimes I've forgotten all about it and I'll turn a corner and it's right there with its ugly head right in my face again. And this is why we need expectancy. We need expectancy that all will be made new, to not be afraid. This is not hope. All will be made new. This is expectancy. I'm sensitive to this right now um, because Mitzi's eight, nine months pregnant. We've got four weeks left. Four weeks. And I don't know how, God bless her, that she could deal with the swollen ankles and the changes of your body and the, all of the mood swings. <laughs> Lord help us, the mood swings. <laughs> I don't know how she could endure it if there wasn't expectancy of the joy of that very first cry. This is why we need expectancy. And I feel like the best news of all, we don't have to wait for the destruction of the world. That's what Jesus was busy doing during his time on earth. He was busy blowing holes in the things of this earth and showing what it looks like when you poke holes between the curtain, between what is light and what is darkness. And he's asked us to do it just through our love for one another. I'm going to try to wrap on this because we are coming to the end of our series um, in the story. And what a great series it's been, walking through the entire Bible. And as I've thought about it, it really can be summed up with three simple statements, nine total words. It is good. God was there at the beginning. He created an ordered, balanced, good world, and he gave it to us. He said, take care of it. Keep it. Help it flourish. And he wanted to have a relationship with us. Let's make a covenant. Let's make a pact. I'll do my part. You do your part. And we failed, 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 and we failed. It is finished. God said, I would rather die than to see you punished. And he kept his promise. And good men in the Bible saw it, believed it, spread the word, died for it, left us letters to encourage us. And then finally, it is done. He makes one more promise. I've got a plan. This is temporary. Trust me. 
all will be made new. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this story. Thank you for inviting us in. Thank you for keeping your promises. Thank you for keeping your promises even though we let you down. Thank you for giving us this church family. And thank you for empowering us to love one another until all things are made new.